Step into my circle with the opposite of Urkel When I pull up flying purple, people eaters could invite me I feel the fate of Herschel And I just leave them on the limb and hand them up in this weapons of walking that I already killed them Skin blanco, lyrical weapon kicking like a bronco Head honcho, spherical presence came from the grotto A dead rapper wrap his body in a poncho A crack his melon with a combo like pronto Saganara, kamikaze rockin' body armor Welcome back to As Indie Grows, the podcast where we interview successful people doing successful things in Indiana. We today have Mr. Clay Burris, which is just a strong name if you think about it. it Clay <laughs> Burris with Century 21 Sheets. This is the real estate edition of the podcast. Uh, we like to interview people in the real estate realm. It's just an interesting topic for us. You know, it's kind of like Colin Cowherd. Like he doesn't talk about baseball. He like basically talks about football. Everyone has their like specialties. That's our specialty. That's Dad, our specialty. Is real estate. Yeah. Uh, the reason why Clay is on the podcast today. I mean, there's many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons I want to talk to you about today is taking a quantum leap, especially in this uh, crazy world, crazy market. You hear that time and time again. If I'm an entrepreneur, a uh, real estate agent, you know, started my own business, is it possible? to take a quantum leap during this time, uh, especially back even in two, 2017, 2018, was your biggest year, your biggest quantum leap. You went from 43 transactions, 43 deals to 79 uh, in a matter of a year. And you started that first year at 11 million. So it's it's not chump change that you're starting with. You know, It's not like I was unsuccessful, now I'm you know, successful. It's I was successful and I'm more successful. And so I want to talk about those systems. We also want to get into uh, the building market because I know that's something that you're an expert on. But why don't we just start with uh, you and how you got into the industry and uh, where you came from? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Rem, Brian. Uh, always great to, to talk to you. Um, I, I've started in southern Indiana as uh, a college student and we moved to, to Indianapolis. I was uh, selling Cutco knives at the time and trying Cutco. to figure out. Yeah. Dad, you have Cutco. That's a, we, we have almost everything Cutco has. That's yeah. right. You yeah. had a great salesman. I did. I had a great salesman. <laughs> <laughs> never went on a Cutco trip, though. Uh-huh. I never got to go. Some people took their parents, but I never. I, yeah, it was weird. Uh, those were no, the weird people. I don't yeah. know who took their parents. Yeah, I never took my parents. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so from knife sales to figuring out what I wanted to do as a career after college, um, we built a house uh, when we moved to Indianapolis, and that kind of s- snowballed into that was a pretty cool process. Uh, how can I do this as a career? Mm. So I got into new home construction sales um, in 2005, I believe it was. Uh, did that for a while, loved it. Um, got tired of sitting in the model over the weekends while all my friends were at Colts games, uh, while my wife was at home. Um, and so f- had to figure out how to stay in the industry but not be in the model 24-7. Why did uh, you have to figure out how to stay? Because you like the industry? Because I love the industry. Okay. I, I was successful at it. Uh, had lots of great relationships with clients. And that's what I quickly learned was kind of my passion in life was uh, serving serving clients and uh, you could do that really easily in the home building process because from start to finish it's a, a four to six month build process at least it was back then uh, not so much anymore I'm sure we'll get to that but um, but you got to know these people and they became you know close and, and friends in a lot of cases um, and that's what I loved doing um, so I, I thought I had to stay in the industry I'd been doing it for five years and was successful in it and and had a passion for it I just didn't want to sit in the models anymore so sure. uh, a good friend was uh, taking over mortgage company at that time and so I thought well that's still in the industry it gives me a little more flexibility on my uh, weekends uh, so I went and did that 
really wasn't my cup of tea. Loved the company, loved the business. Um, just more transactional than relational is what it was for me. Uh, so then I said, well, what's the third option to stay in the real estate industry? It's like, get your license, Clay. And so mm-hmm. took that leap and got my license in 2011. 2011, so 11 years in the industry. Um, what, uh, what do you think, so being a realtor for this long, do you think that the, I mean, you, so you had two, three, three backgrounds before, I mean, really that probably helped you in the business world, Cutco uh, being the first one, then building and then mortgages. What do you feel like, um, which one prepared you most to be a realtor? Probably Cutco, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, for those of you who have, have not sold Cutco or had a sales rep at your house, it's very uh, relationship driven, um, getting referrals, which is the key to my real estate business. I learned um, from from Cutco days as yeah. a college student, which is crazy. Yeah, I, so I sold Cutco uh, for a few years myself, and but I always try to figure out, okay, so what, what is actually preparing me for sales versus running the business? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts on like, you know, a lot of us, do you feel like every realtor is good at the business side and that's what makes them successful or are most of them good at sales? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm the oddball there, I think. Um, If you talk to, and you have, uh, and will continue to talk to lots of different agents on this podcast, I'm sure. Um, I would say the majority of them that I know that are super successful are very sales-driven, and and it works great for them. Um, I am very business-oriented. My degree in college is is a business major. Um, So I think I've grown through... Um, some sales ability, well, really relationship building ability um, combined with running my or treating my real estate career as a business mm-hmm. owner, which I don't think is easy for a lot of people. A lot of people come into the real estate industry from uh, corporate careers. Uh, you have a lot of teachers in the industry, people that are in kind of a more structured nine to five uh, type of environment. And then at some point in their life, they transition into uh, the world of real estate. Um, and you feel like you're an employee because we all work at these brokerages, um, but we pay them to be part of the brokerage, right. uh, not the other way around. So getting that mindset shift into I am a uh, entrepreneur and a, and a business owner, and you got to run it like a business, um, sure. it's tough for a lot of people, I think. What do you think? Go ahead, Dad. No, I, I think it's interesting that you said that about, about Cutco uh, because I – I have found few things um, that have prepared people, especially at that age, hands down, for those two crucial aspects. I want to teach you how to interact with people and and care about them and and service them. And then I want to teach you how to run your own business. And they put a lot of pressure, but in a good way, on Mm -hmm. people to do that. And I'm I'm unaware of, of many things that do that so early. Um, one of the reasons businesses fail is because somebody has an interest or a passion and they go, Hey, I should, I should do this. Let's pick like computers mm-hmm. and uh, Hey, I love working on computers, love knocking around. And so I'm going to start a computer repair, but they have absolutely no background on anything else about the business. And that's why they fail. Would you say, and many of the people that I've interviewed have said this, but would you say that that's one thing in the industry that's very fascinating is that there's actually, except for the brokerage, very little training about how to actually be a realtor and how to make it happen. They do teach you how to stay out of trouble legally, 
but beyond that, comment on that. Have you had to pick up all that on your own? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I haven't taken the real estate courses in, in almost 11 years now, so I don't know all the ins and outs of what they're teaching at the real estate uh, licensing courses School. at this point. But when I, when I went through, absolutely none of that was in play. Not even how to transact uh, or, or handle a transaction. It's all legal. It's what you can and can't do, which is obviously important. Sure. Uh, but then you get out of that and you have no idea even how to go present to a seller or uh, how to take a buyer through a house. Uh, that's thrown on the responsibilities thrown to the brokerages in, in a lot of cases. And depending on the brokerage structure, size, uh, scale and, and uh, resources, it, people are getting different levels of training there, too. A few years ago, I was hired by Tucker School of Real Estate to do two portions of the actual class as people are. I, I don't know if it was the actual school that. I was teaching it or like a, a post school, like now you're in real estate kind of thing. But they hired me to do two things. Talk one about social media and how to build your business, not like legal and anything like that, like literally how to build your business on social media. And the second one was how to shake hands. <clears throat> Truly, like how, how to greet people, how to network. Like there was a whole section on it. We made it fun and, and actually yeah. really enjoyed it. But when they told me and they were having me do this, they said they'd never done anything like this before. So to me, that tells me they're spending most of the time like on the legal. But when you're with your brokerage and you're going to sales meetings and stuff like that, what are they focusing on? I mean, are they teaching you how to sell or to run the business? Uh, we had a, when I started, we had a course that I went through at Century 21 that kind of, you, you prepared and did a listing presentation for some of the management. Um, they went through uh, the systems they had to offer and, and taught you how to do that. But uh, I, don't, I don't think there's ever been consistent training, at least that I've seen, on how to actually grow a business um, and and work directly with the consumer and, and build those relationships. All that came from my college background and, and my Cutco background, I think. Yeah. So. Well, then let's talk about that because that, when you took your quantum leap, it was 2017. You've been at about the midway point of uh, maybe a little bit after um, since you've been in real estate, you were at 11 million, which is no chump change. No. Um, and then you went from 43 transactions to 79 transactions and doubled, almost doubled your mm -hmm. volume. So how, how did you do that? You know, what I'm assuming there, you're going to give me some answers based on your background and, and growing the business with systems. Um, but I really want to talk about how someone can duplicate that effort and grow it quantum leaps year after year, or maybe that's not possible. Oh, I think it is possible. That's probably the cool thing about this industry realm is uh, there's a million ways to be successful in it. So as you talk to all these different agents, uh, depending on their goals and, and what they're willing to, to put into it, uh, I think you can absolutely uh, grow your business at whatever rate you'd like to if you have um, a strategy in place for it. Um, I would say my success or, or my strategy from, from the get-go has because of my background that we just spoke of has been to grow it at a, a slow, sustainable pace uh, and continue to grow year over year uh, through building relationships. So why, why 2017 to 18? Why did it double? I think if, if I'm guessing, um, my best answer is I built systems uh, from the start to help um, support that level of business before I needed it. Um, so what does that actually and, look like? What, what yeah. does the system look like? Um, from a, a great CRM, that's a customer relationship management software, if you're not familiar with that acronym. But um, so, so tracking, um, 
uh, conversations with the consumer, uh, when their birthdays are, um, every, everything about them and having a place for that is kind of the key system, I, I always say, uh, to, to our team's success. Um, and then just putting in place um, stat tracking. It started on an Excel sheet. I've got a little uh, more robust system nowadays, um, but started on an Excel spreadsheet tracking where's business coming from, where am I spending money, uh, is this money spent on this marketing item returning anything for me, do we keep doing that, do we put more money here, what's successful and what's not. Uh, so knowing your numbers I think is, is uh, super important to growth. Um, and strategic growth, I guess. We can all uh, have one year that just explodes, but if you want to continue to strategically grow your business and, more importantly, I think, maybe profitability, uh, that's not spoken a lot of in the real estate industry, quite honestly. Um, people talk numbers all the time, but we in real estate, you can throw enough money at things where you can produce transactions, but are you truly getting the profitability that you want? Sure. Um, and as you're producing more and more transactions, are you doing the things, do you have the systems in place to uh, su support that business uh, so that these clients aren't transactional now and now they're still truly clients of yours where you're continuing to get more business from that group. You know, it's interesting about what he said, though, and it's not just in real estate where this happens, is people like to focus on the revenue and not the yes. profit. They get rewarded on the revenue and not the profit mm -hmm. in pretty much every sales company, even back in the Cutco days. And I have a hundred great things to say about Cutco, but one thing that it was a wake-up call for me as they were giving me trophies and you know prizes and recognition based on how much we sold not how much I made and if at the end of the year you know I've got all these accolades and I, I can you know barely pay my bills then that's a that's a problem and it translates over to most sales I mean I don't know if it's the same way you worked in car sales at one point and insurance sales is it the same in those type of w-2 roles as it is a 1099 I, th I think it's I think that's just the norm in sales you know, and, and people go to conferences and they have the top salespeople speak and everybody thinks that's what I want to mimic. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we should, I think Clay's right. I think we should spend time on, okay, but how can I make this a healthy, organically healthy, successful business? And, and then you can scale that on any level, mm -hmm. but, it's, but it's good and it's sustainable. I agree. Hmm. Well, uh, so... You have successfully been the first person, and, and uh, most people who listen to this podcast, or maybe not, uh, know that we also run Indie Real Producers Magazine. Um, Dad writes for a lot of the franchises. Uh, we created it here in 2015, and Clay was actually the first person, and only person to my knowledge, at least yes. in Indie, yep. to go from uh, the Rising Star section to the cover um, in a pretty short amount of time. And that I think that Quantum Leap happened. And so as you are looking at the market and your team and the systems that you have, what are the contributing factors that go into, okay, how do I continue this success, this growth? Because you have, since 2018, continued to grow every single year. But you said you're trying to grow small and organically. Um, is your fear if you grow too quickly, you don't have the systems to sustain it and you'll crash and burn? Um, I don't know it's that. I think it's it's more of trying to maintain a, a healthy work-life balance, which has always been a priority. Uh, it's tough to do in this business for sure. It's tough to do in a lot of uh, 
careers, I'm, I'm certain. But um, if you grow too quickly, I think two things can happen. Either A, like you said, Rem, don't have the, the systems to support it, and now you're not, your, your customer experience is lacking. Uh, and I think the customer experience is becoming more and more important as, we, as this industry continues to, to shift and, and change with some uh, new competitors in the marketplace, et cetera. Why is it more important? Um, because we have to, as agents, continue to provide and, and show value to the clients. Uh, you have, for those that aren't following the real estate industry uh, closely, you have a lot of uh, big corporate um, Wall Street companies nowadays uh, in the real estate brokerage business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily a, an evil thing or a bad thing. It's just a, a new competitor for, for the real estate agent. Um, People think that they can do everything with technology. Uh, I would argue that the real estate transaction uh, is very emotional and there's so many moving parts and it's one of the biggest investments most people make. So they'll rely on a computer to do that. I don't think it's possible, but if we as real estate agents aren't providing the customer value and, mm-hmm. and showing them that and providing great customer experiences, I think some people will lose some business um, to some of these competitors. But you're saying these big uh, big businesses are, are becoming real estate brokers brokerages, mm-hmm. but then you said that they're creating systems to allow the um, consumer to buy a house without mm-hmm. the realtor. So yeah. are you talking about the difference between uh, OfferPad, Zillow, like those types of disruptors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think they're just trying to, I, I don't think the real estate agent, I don't think their goal is to take the real estate agent away completely. I think that they can get more marketing dollars and, and business from consumers by trying to make a, a simpler process or uh, a proposition that's attractive to, to consumers. And then the real estate agent gets paid less right. uh, because the customer no longer sees the value uh, because I can do it cheaper via this system that's largely technology-based and less uh, human interaction-based. Sure. And so th- there's a I think could be a downward pressure on, on some real estate uh, commissions that, that people are paying. It's just funny to me because like I've been in real estate for 10 years now. I've never been a realtor, but I've bought and sold a lot of homes. Um, you stayed at a Holiday Inn. In this, I stayed at Holiday Inn <laughs> last night. And never, never once have I thought, you know what? I just want to do all this myself. I want to I want to look at all the legal documents. I want to, you know, take on the entire process of buying a home because I'm not you know, I want a professional to do that for me. Even if I have to pay a fee, like most business owners want to leverage their time. Why would I want to do that in addition to my full-time gig and whatever? Mm-hmm. But I just think it's funny. Like, I don't know why people think that that is something where they should get involved and do it all themselves because of the age of information. Like it, yeah. like the same thing with who go into the doctor and tell them what's wrong with themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's two things. There's two things, and Clay didn't comment on this, but you know, I think we. Let me say it. I think we as clients are fickle. I think, and I think it's part of the culture. You know, it's not just in real estate. Look at, look at uh, athletics, coaching. You know, everybody right now is immediate gratification. It's like, what have you done for me today? And the first time something goes wrong, well, I'm out of here because there's mm-hmm. lots of options. And a, that's not a great approach. And the other side to that is, um, I think everybody Remington's thinking, um, how hard could this be? I think this can go well, but they're only thinking of if everything goes perfect. Mm -hmm. And if it does, maybe it is a little easier than another transaction they had. But I'm always thinking, if this thing goes sideways, how are we going to get out of this? And I do not want to be alone. So I'm with you, Remington. I I I don't see the logic. 
I completely agree, guys. Uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, but even within the real estate in, industry, agent-wise, I mean, we're at an all-time uh, high agent count, to my knowledge, in, in just the central Indiana area here. Um, so I understand, we're, almost we're an all-time low of inventory. Right, and an all-time low of inventory. So not only are we competing against these new uh, ideas and disruptors from the technology front, sure. we're competing against the more sure. of each more other, people. right? Yeah. Um, and real estate's a weird industry because we compete against each other for business, but then we have to cooperate with each other as well to bring a buyer and seller together and get to the closing table. Um, so when you talk about customer experience and its importance, how do I set myself apart from the other however many 9,000 plus agents in this marketplace? Uh, it comes down to customer experience again. How many agents are there in Indianapolis? Do you know? Uh, there are over 9,000, I think. Yeah, I don't 9, know the exact 000, number. Uh, in my board, so nine counties of central Indiana. And then do you know the most current number of how many listings there are? I don't. Uh, I think it was around 1,500 or something. 1,500? Yeah. I mean, that's just wild. Yeah. And so that is a great transition. Good job, Remington, uh, into <laughs> building. So a lot of people mm -hmm. are, are turning to building, but the building process is not easy. In fact, it's taking forever. I have many friends, many friends that are trying to build right now, and it's, um, it's in year two of them trying to get their build done. Yeah. And so some of those guys have moved out and are li living a short-term rental. Some of them are uh, just hanging on to their you know, one house and, and nervous to put it on the market because they don't know when the build's going to be done. Mm -hmm. um, why, is, why is, and I think most people have, uh, on the subject, exhausted why it's happening, but let's just briefly touch on why the building process is taking forever. Like what what happened? I'm guessing it started in 2020. Uh, yeah, it, it did. I mean, it's just supply chain slash labor shortage issues for for a large part, mm -hmm. um, and then just land availability and builders purchasing enough of it has been a problem since 2008. Uh, I was on a panel with Baggy, which is the Builders Association locally, um, listening to that a few weeks ago, um, and they threw out a stat, and I, forgive me if this is slightly off, but uh, the Indianapolis marketplace is, is currently underbuilt by 69,000 houses. Um, so 69,000 more homes would have to be constructed between now and, and 2025 to, to break in, break even on the demand for inventory, mm. um, wow. which is which is not possible. That's Indy not. had like 11,000 permits pulled last year, roughly, oh, give or take. Saying, okay. So there's there's no but way they can get 11,000 permits, like a, an all-time high too, right? Um, it's it? the highest in quite some time. I think when I was in new construction sales in the early uh, to mid 2000s, uh, that was kind of a peak period, and I think we were doing 12 to 13,000 permits, okay. if I remember correctly. So, but yes, very, very close to that. And what are they including in that uh, territory for how many permits? Is that including all of the MyBoard territory? That, that's my understanding of what was presented, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the supply chain issues, the labor, wh what is going to take for us to see a shift there to where we can actually keep up? Like, uh, you, you can predict a house to be built between six and eight months and start to see it, like, Right. quicker what would it take to do that I, d I don't know because um, yeah right now you've got houses being built slower than ever because of the labor uh, issues and sometimes supply chain issues they're waiting on windows and then they can't move on with the house because they've got a, a 12-week delay on, on windows uh, just as an example so what used to be a four to six month build process um, pre pre-COVID times was pretty normal for most of the big, you know, production style builders around here. Um, you're anywhere from eight to 12 months on, on production style builders. And then your, your custom, uh, on your lot stuff is, is even slower. Uh, I've got clients that have been up to 19 months or, or so on, on custom builds. So it's custom and on your lot slower because 
they don't have as much pull with the other companies because they're not doing as much volume. Yep. So when you have a limited labor force and limited supplies, the ones that are doing the biggest business are going to have first priority. Uh, yeah. So your your big builders are going to get that contractor before they go out to the guy that's building 10 houses a year. Yeah, so. we've seen that with food distributors with the restaurant. You have one restaurant. Well, you're not going to compete with the regional or national chains that are getting the food. So mm. who, who's going to have fries mm-hmm. that look different for a month? Uh, versus uh, us versus uh, the the bigger guy there. Well, so the building the building market is interesting because it's it's being affected by a couple different things: the real estate market in general, but then also the uh, supply and demand. <laughs> it's just it's nuts because you look at it, when when is it going to end? Are we at the bottom now of inventory? Are we at the bottom? Is Indiana the only one experiencing this, or more aggressively experiencing this? Uh, I think it's nationwide from agents I've talked to in various parts of the country. Uh, yeah. Brian, you talk to them yeah. all the time. Yeah, so. every, everybody you talk to is short yeah. on inventory. Yeah, um, I don't think it's a, a short fix to the problem. Uh, I don't see a way that there is, barring some sort of major economic national disaster type of, of situation. Um, because this has been building, and it's kind of coming to a head now, hopefully. Uh, but it's been building since 08, um, th- this inventory problem. Because uh, when the financial crisis of, of 08 happened, uh, builders all pulled way back and weren't building near the numbers uh, that they needed to be building for the, the demand uh, from the buyers, you know, coming of age and first time buyer markets, et cetera. Um, so that, that started in 08 and then they've just never caught up to what they needed to be producing. So now we've got 10 plus years of underbuilt uh, marketplaces uh, across the nation to, to your point, Brian. Um, and so now that coupled with now COVID and the effects that that had on the supply chains, everything just got slower. Mm. Um, I don't think there's a short-term fix, um, sure. barring, barring a, something we don't know that's coming economically that just crashes. People in the industry say that the, the hiking going on in the interest rates will slow some mm. things down. But I think you're right. I think it's very clear that there might be a patch here and there that might slightly affect it, but there's no way in three years we can get to 69,000 houses. So that's a little discouraging. And yet when I listen to a lot of people talk about um, the industry right now, everybody's not throwing up their hands. Right. And, 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 and well, let's just you know, I'll do this. Mm. There's actually some encouraging news out there. So you're dealing with, and you mentioned it earlier, it's a very emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, I always uh, tease uh, realtors that they, they have a degree in therapy. I mean, you have to really do that. <laughs> so right now, when I, if I would come to you, Mr. Buyer Seller, and I would say, wow, what's going on out there, Clay? Mm-hmm. How, how do you settle me down? Yeah, these these are conversations that we're all having every day. I'm I'm sure I am for for certain. Uh, I had one yesterday with a, a buyer who's like, "Well, I think I'll just wait until the housing market crashes and then prices stop going up because I think the prices are way too high, um, and they're going to come down." And I shared some of these stats that I just told you guys uh, yeah. with them, and so it's educating them. But we have to be educated as the agents to and, and confident in those numbers yeah. uh, to confidently share that. Because um, I don't think prices are coming down. Um, no, the prices aren't coming down in Indiana or nationwide. I don't think in most areas. Right. Uh, I'm sure there's pockets where. Because as my understanding, it, it was like Indiana was so behind on price. It's yeah. such a small um, 
if you look at neighboring cities or mm-hmm. similar cities, we were so behind, especially in Indianapolis, on yeah. home values, that that would be my argument as to why they won't go down. But in some of these other areas, I have seen, we've even seen in, in like Florida, for instance, where there are homes that, you know, uh, a year ago or even six months ago were priced at a certain price point, and you're starting to see it go down to whoever you're talking to, mm-hmm. to his point. So I'm wondering, like, is Indiana an exception, or are these are smaller markets that are catching up to the rest of the world an exception, or you just really don't believe anything's going down? Um, well, it's not that I don't believe anything is going down. I think you've seen uh, since COVID a lot of uh, shifts in what people want and, and where they want to be. Um, so you are seeing areas uh, of the country where people are leaving. Um, we, we, I've got lots of clients coming from Illinois, as an example, a neighboring state here. Yeah. Um, so I think there are areas, and, and even big urban centers uh, since COVID have, have uh, declined in popularity. People don't care about living in the city to be close to work because they're not going to the office or are not going to the office as often, right? Sure. Uh, so, hey, I can live, uh, you know, 20 miles out in a, on a piece of land or in one of the, the small suburbs uh, and still do my job and not have to commute into the city every day. So I, I do think there's uh, probably the first shifts will be in the, some of the major metropolitan areas. Um, to your point, Rem, on, on Indy, uh, we've been one of the most affordable housing markets uh, of major metro areas in the country for the last 10 plus years. Uh, so some of the correction here, I think, is just bringing us up to uh, similar cities uh, across the country. If you look at like a Charlotte or a, um, Columbus, Ohio, uh, et cetera, uh, that are similar sized uh, urban areas. We've been lower priced than them for quite some time. Sure. Uh, so I think some of the correction here locally is that. Uh, but I would say holistically across the nation, I'm not in every market by any means, but more often than not, I would say that it's not a immediate fix nationwide. There'll be pockets, to your point, that, are, that will be affected. Mm-hmm. So uh, in closing uh, for this podcast, and I appreciate you being on mm-hmm. and speaking on your expertise, what do you think would be the hope in this situation that we're in where – uh, you know, for, for a top realtor who's grown every single year, even during the pandemic, you're not rolling over and dying in this market. And so from the consumer standpoint where we're like, there's no homes, can't find a home. From the realtor standpoint, I've got to sell homes. You know, what, what would you say the hope in this matter is and what are you encouraging your team with? Um, we're just trying to be creative. Um, one thing's always constant. People have to move uh, for various reasons uh, throughout life, and, and that's not going to change, whether that's um, job transfers, uh, family dynamic changes. Um, there's, there's many things, uh, death, none of the stuff we want to talk about, but that, that's what causes people to have to move. Certainly people move because they want to from time to time, but those things will never change. People, that's always going to happen in society. Uh, so there's always going to be the need for people to buy and sell their houses. Uh, so how do we find those people? How do we educate them uh, about where the market's at now so that they feel comfortable and confident in making those decisions uh, and, and pulling the trigger on, on uh, some of those life decisions? I've got a, a client that's in a, a two-bedroom house with four kids right now that doesn't want to move uh, because they think they're going to overpay for the, for the house mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to have to buy. Um, so it's, it's that constant conversation and, and trying to educate that person to get them comfortable to go, hey, we need to move uh, for 
our, our family's needs. And we can do that and we can help them as the agents navigate that successfully, even in a low inventory market, whether that's calling everyone we know to see if they have a house that they want to move from that fits that buyer's needs. So it's people think that the, the real estate agents, uh, because of the numbers they see on TV, that we have it's easier now uh, to do business. I would argue I work more now uh, than I did pre-pandemic uh, because it's, it's spending time on the phone, uh, sending out letters to neighborhoods, uh, trying to find the inventory, uh, whereas in a more balanced normal market pre, pre-COVID, uh, the inventory is there. Now I got to go find buyers and, and we can show them houses. I also have to drop everything and go show a house uh, these days because it might not be there tomorrow. Yeah, it's a hot cake. You yeah. used to be able to you know, schedule a showing two or three days out. Uh, so the consumer feels that. We feel that as agents, too. Uh, the consumer's got to hop out of work and go see the house, or, or they might not have an opportunity. I have to drop what I'm doing and, and go show the house. That's uh, part of the reason we have a team in place to, to help serve our customers, because I can't do it all alone, right? Right. Well, it's evident why he's had the success he's had. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show, Clay, Yeah, sharing your expertise. My celebrity guest host, which I, I didn't introduce you at the beginning, but Dr. Brian Ramsey, who has... Three different forms of taking notes uh, on the couch <laughs> for those of you viewers who are watching. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Clay. Thank yeah, you, Clay. Cool. Thanks for having me. Uh, you guys are two of the best I know, so keep doing that's right. good work. We only have people on the show that compliment us. That's, that's, <laughs> the, important, that's the first question. That, is, uh, that should have been the first question. Well, we'll see you next time on As Any Gross. Step into my circle with the opposite of Urkel. When I pull up flying purple, people eat.